Express train approaching the bend where a tragic accident took place last Friday in Hualien, eastern Taiwan. The train collided with a truck, derailing as it entered a tunnel, killing 50 people. And in today's Taiwan Insider, we're going to try to make sense of that tragic accident. We'll also hear from a disaster risk expert about what went wrong and what Taiwan needs to change. Later in hashtag Taiwan, Leslie Liao has a timeline cleanse for you with images of the Hualien that we know and love. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie So, and this is Taiwan Insider. Authorities in Taiwan have finally finished removing the wreckage from the tunnel at the site of last Friday's train crash. And they're still trying to piece together what happened in the final moments leading up to the crash. This is what we know so far. In footage from January, the Taroko Express Number no. 408 leaves Huron Tunnel, traveling at over 120 kilometers an hour, heading for the Qingshui Tunnel. It's a clear stretch of less than 300 meters, and it's precisely here that one of Taiwan's worst train disasters occurred on Friday. The distance between the tunnel and the truck was 250 meters. Taroko trains normally cover that in less than seven seconds. Taiwan Transportation Safety Board Chairperson Yang Hongzhi says there simply wasn't enough time to stop the train. After analyzing the train's CCTV footage, he says the driver reacted within four seconds, but by then the train had traveled nearly half the distance. Yang says no matter what the driver did, he couldn't have stopped the train from hitting the truck. Yang says the accident was made worse by the fact that the train then entered a second tunnel. He says that's why the left side of the train was so severely mangled. The Taiwan Transportation Safety Board is reviewing footage from the train's cameras and conducting 3D scans of the area in the hope of shedding more light on the cause of the accident. Joining us now in the studio is RTR reporter Stash Butler, who has been looking into the details of last Friday's crash. What do you have for us, Stash? That's right. Well, we've mostly been looking at what happened to the train in the moments leading up to the crash. But mm. I mean, what about the truck that fell onto the, the tracks? Right. Well. There are some things that we don't really know,、uh, and then there are some things that we do know for sure.、Mm. So I want to take you back and look back at one single frame from the video that you've just seen. What we're seeing here is the back end of the train after it derailed and entered the tunnel, and we can see a construction site above and to the right of the track. Now the, the truck was in this construction site before it slid down onto the tracks. We know it arrived there about half an hour before the crash. But the thing is, it wasn't meant to be there in the first place. It was a public holiday, and there was no work planned for that day. The Transportation Safety Board then says that the truck attempted to make a tight corner turn down the access ramp in the last minutes before the crash. It started around here, made it to here, and ended up here. And you can see very clearly where the truck slid down the embankment. Now, the safety board says that the truck slid down just over one minute before the collision with the Taroko Express. Now. Why exactly did it slide down, and was the handbrake engaged? That's something we probably will never know for sure because the the vehicle was mostly destroyed in the collision. But what we do know is that there wasn't the necessary safety measures in place to stop this kind、mm. of accident from happening. If you look at the pictures, you can see there aren't any like barriers between、yeah. the construction site and the tracks or anything like that. Now I'm curious a little bit about the driver. Can you tell us more about him? Yeah. Well, so authorities have detained both the driver and one other person that was、uh, also present at the site.、Uh, the slightly worrying thing is, is that the driver of the vehicle was also the person who was 
you know, in charge of safety for this whole site. So who's to blame for the accident? Well, it's not just the driver. I spoke with a disaster risk expert at National Jiao Tong University, Associate Professor San Xunyi, and this is what he had to say. There are three parties involved in such a construction site. There is a design and oversight consulting company, there is a general contractor, and there is a dedicated project management team. Okay, And these parties are responsible for identifying or recognizing the risk at the construction site. They should have bring up a different way to prevent the accidents from happening. Okay, uh, For example, if you have an access ramp that close to the tracks, then you may need to install preventative barriers along uh, the ramp. So even if the equipment or truck will slip, it will not slip down the ramp. For us, uh, it, it is a just a failure of setting up all these multiple layers of defense to prevent the accidents from happening. What do you think can be done and should be done to prevent future accidents like this? Okay, um, comparing to um, rapid transit company or Taiwan high-speed rail company, Taiwan rail company is uh, a no company. Uh, it lacks modernized uh, safety management systems uh, from the construction of the rails, from buying trains, from maintenance and operation, and so on. So it needs to reorganize its structure and set up a dedicated safety management department and maybe adapt modern safety standards and try to modify its current regulation systems and operating systems. I think currently this is uh, the most important issues that they need to look at and they can uh, do it right away. You know, just a couple years ago in 2018, there was a derailment in Elan. Have you seen any progress since uh, that derailment? Uh, they have a so-called a full examination of TRA and they listed more than 100 issues that need to be addressed. According to the executive UN, they have done maybe 100 items. Uh, but unfortunately, these 100 items or more than 100 items are all patchworks. They didn't really look at the systematic problem at the core of the TRA. Okay, So they didn't address the issues, uh, for example, uh, need to set up a, a safety department within and or adapting a new um, safety codes. Uh, they didn't do any of that. They may need to hire um, experts from maybe uh, from the universities or maybe they even need to um, have experts from, for example, um, from Britain or France, um, those companies, or, or Japan, okay? All of these companies that are running railways around the world have more advanced safety management systems than TRA. Maybe they should seek their help. Professor San also thinks Taiwan needs an overhaul of its safety culture. Most of us, or most of Taiwanese people, didn't pay too much attention to safety. Okay, we violate safety regulations every, every single day. Uh, that's the that's underlying theme of this, uh, of this accident. Uh, unfortunately, there's no simple way to improve uh, or to culture the, the so-called safety culture. Uh, we need to do this by um, education, basically, but maybe um, through legal systems 
or uh, city regulations. But, but more importantly, is still um, the education, especially family education. The parents themselves may not be the best role model for the kids because every day our parents double park or make crazy U-turns while they, while, <laughs> while they drop off their kids or pick up their kids from schools and they feel comfortable with that. I really agree with him about our attitude towards safety, especially when driving, mm. crossing the street, a lot of these daily activities. Absolutely. We need to be a lot more careful. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think, you know, Taiwanese driving sometimes. It's a little crazy, quite, right? It's quite scary. Yeah. And, I, you know, I have not personal experiences, but I have uh, friends who have been handed, they've been put in charge of quite heavy machinery uh, without very much training before. Really? Yeah, and sort of wow. left to their devices. So I think... This is going to be a place where there could be tighter regulation. And just like, like the interviewee says, I think it's about culture as well. Mm, that's true. You know, details. I, you know, I, of course, you all know I'm a stickler for details. <laughs> but with our job, it doesn't really matter, you know, too much. It's not a life or death situation. But in, in cases where it's, you know, it, it, safety, heavy equipment are involved, the detail, the devil's in the details. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And when we're driving too, right? Or yeah. riding our bike or crossing the street. Absolutely. We should obey traffic rules. Absolutely. So we are going to continue to keep you up to date on all the developments related to this accident. But we wanted to pause now and remember those who were affected the most.
相见。The story on everyone's mind this week is the train accident that happened in Hualien. Now, when a tragedy like this happens, the natural instinct is going to be to try and make sense of how this all happened. And here on Taiwan Insider, we're going to do our best to walk you through it. But it's also important to have a timeline cleanse, and that's exactly what we're going to do today here on Hashtag Taiwan. I'm going to show you another side of Hualien. First, have a look at this picture. This isn't a stock photo. I took this in Hualien. No filter, no elaborate equipment. Hualien is just that photogenic. Hualien County is on Taiwan's eastern coast. It's the country's largest county by area. It is home to so much beautiful, insta-worthy scenery. In fact, today I'm going to overload you with beautiful pictures of Hualien that I found on social media. Hualien is known for its ocean scenery. The water out there is crisp and clear. The color is unlike anything I've ever seen. The mountainous terrain offers unhindered views of the Pacific Ocean stretching out to the horizon. If you're more of a beach person, then head over to Qixingtan Beach. I mean, just look at that. It's got everything. Mountains, clouds, land, and ocean. Go ahead. Take a good look at that picture. Take a good five-second look at that picture and tell me it doesn't have all the elements of great, beautiful, natural scenery. If you're more into nature, then Ma Tai An Wetland Ecological Park is the place to be. Spoiler alert: that's in Hualien too. Taroko Gorge is my absolute favorite place in Taiwan because it looks like something out of a fantasy novel. There are caves, cliffs, embankments, hiking trails, a big river, drawbridges, just. Everything you could possibly want out of a nature excursion. Hualien is filled with so many other picturesque places like tea plantations, hot springs, forests, and lakes. And if you need pictures of puppers, and I know I do, then Hualien's got that too. I just love those images of Hualien. It's so mm, beautiful there. It is. It's one of the most beautiful places in the country. So thank you, Leslie, for bringing us a timeline cleanse. We sure need it. Yes. And now let's take a look at some of the other stories on our radar. A Chinese aircraft carrier group conducted drills in waters off Taiwan last week. Beijing says the drills will become regular. The U.S. State Department reaffirmed its quote rock-solid commitment to Taiwan's defense and sent a guided missile destroyer through the Taiwan Strait on Wednesday. Water rationing is underway in central and southern Taiwan as the nation faces its worst drought in over half a century. In Taichung, residents will only get water five days a week. On the other two days, they'll have to rely on a network of water stations to get what they need. A pig carcass found near the coast in New Taipei City has tested positive for African swine fever. Council of Agriculture officials are inspecting all pig farms within five kilometers of the coast in New Taipei and Taoyuan City in order to prevent the highly infectious disease from entering Taiwan. Taiwanese American director Ang Lee will be honored with a British Academy of Film and Television Arts Fellowship on Sunday. BAFTA awards are the highest accolade that the Academy gives for outstanding contribution to film. Now, usually we end with a word of the week, but uh, today we're going to end with a picture of the week, and each of us has chosen an image from Hualien. Why don't we start with you, Leslie? Uh, all right, guys. So this is going to be my picture right here. Oh, 
wow. is that the Seven Star Beach? That is the Seven so Star Beach. There. And I know I said Taroko was my favorite place in Taiwan. But I had like a thousand pictures from the gorge, and it was just so impossible to choose. <laughs> and like I said, uh, Chishing Beach is beautiful because it has everything that's beautiful about Hualien, right? It's got the beach, it's got water, it's got mountains, it's rocks even got a little too. bit of development, rocks, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, and those rocks actually make a sound, a very unique sound when the waves crash on them that's different from every other beach in Taiwan. Right. Is that yeah. right? And they're Absolutely. beautiful. They have stripes on them or different yeah. colors. That's from the marble, right? From yeah, the yeah, cliffs. yeah. And you can, you can stack them. Like if you if you walk along the beach, you just see people stacking rocks, and mm. it's kind of it's a lot of fun, but so beautiful. I would be remiss if I didn't include the beach mm. or the ocean in a I'm picture about Hualien. Yes, absolutely, Natalie. Well, I was in Hualien just a couple weeks ago, and we took this picture on the oceans of Hualien. I don't know if you can see it, but there's a dolphin oh. jumping, whoa, in the middle, and then two dolphins swimming up on the left side. We Amazing. went dolphin watching. It whoa. was beautiful. Wow, that's it was so, so great. cool to be around dolphins. That's fantastic. So for my image, uh, I have chosen actually a video. Have a look at this. So this is actually the view from the train going down the wow. central rift valley. Oh, that's beautiful. Look at that. Look look how clear look the, the water is. That reflection. Wow. Blue, green, are these rice paddies? White. Those are rice paddies. Absolutely. So, of course, Hualien has beautiful coastline. It also has beautiful valleys. The water's just different out there, man. It's so reflective. No matter mm. where you go, if it's the lake, mm. the beach, you can, it's, like, it's like a mirror. Yeah, the view that you get of Hualien from the train is truly spectacular. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, do leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. And like us, subscribe for Taiwan Insider. I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. We'll see you next week. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds.
This is Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Just a week ago today at 9.28 a.m., Taiwan saw its deadliest train crash in 73 years on the east coast of Hualien County. A crane truck at a construction site above the train tracks fell down a slope onto the train tracks just minutes before a train came by. It derailed the train as it went into a tunnel, causing 50 deaths and over 200 injured. This was not the only train wreck in recent history. In October 2018, Taiwan saw another train derailment in Yilan, killing 18 people and injuring nearly 200. Now, how safe are Taiwan's trains and what went wrong last Friday? Well, today I speak with a disaster risk management expert at National Jiao Tong University, Associate Professor of Civil Engineering, San Xingyu. We talk about what's missing in Taiwan's risk management and safety systems. Can you tell us what went wrong at this accident? Obviously, there shouldn't have been a truck parked on a slope right above the train tracks, right? No. The failure is caused by the failure of the safety management system at the construction site. We have labor safety regulations that inhibit parking any equipment or crane trucks on sloping ground. For access ramp into the construction site, we need to have preventative measures to prevent slipping off the ground of the truck. Uh, however, unfortunately, although the driver himself is the site manager at the construction site, he just parked the truck in the wrong place, and he didn't pull up the handbrake and didn't pull any wheel block under the wheels. Uh, for whatever reason, the truck just moved and slipped off the ramp onto the track of the train, and the disaster happens. It's not just an unsafe act. It is a failure of the whole safety management system. So it was negligence on the driver's part and also on the contractor's part. And would you also say yeah. the uh, Taiwan Railways Administration, they were not overseeing yeah. the situation? Um, right, right. This is a very uh, high-risk construction site because we have construction undergoing and there is another site just adjacent to the construction site. There is a railroad track with train running on it. So it's a high-risk site. There are three parties involved in such a construction site. There is a design and oversight consulting company. There is a general contractor. And there is a dedicated project management team. Okay? And these parties are responsible for identifying or recognizing the risk at a construction site. And they need to do a complete risk assessment. And they should have bring up safety issues, and they should have bring up different way to prevent the accidents from happening, okay? For example, if you have an access ramp that close to the tracks, 
then you may need to install preventative uh, just traffic barriers along the ramp. So even if the equipment or truck will slip, it will not slip down the ramp. And also, if you have assigned any workers to monitor the traffic or the movement of the, the truck or the equipment, then you will see if, if there's the truck moving down the ramp and off the slope, so you can uh, just send out alarms to signal the accident's coming. And so for us, uh, it, it is uh, just a failure of setting up all these multiple layers of defense to prevent uh, the accidents from happening. I know there have been a lot of calls for the Taiwan Railways Administration to be mm-hmm. privatized because actually they're the ones who should be overseeing these construction companies, right? And who perhaps um, should have some um, alarm. They contracted systems. out the work to these uh, contractors and also dedicated uh, project management teams. So Taiwan Rail, he is the ultimate risk owner, but it is not directly responsible for this accident uh, that has, has happened. Um, privatization of TRA is a big issue because uh, it has, it's a big organization. It has a lot of assets. But um, currently, the most important issue is the modernization of the organization and strengthening uh, the safety management system instead of just go into privatization. What do you think can be done and should be done to prevent future accidents like this? Okay, comparing to Rapid Transit Company or Taiwan High Speed Rail Company, Taiwan Rail Company is a a no company. It lacks modernized uh, safety management systems from the construction of the rails, from buying trains, from maintenance and operation, and so on. So it needs to reorganize its structure and set up a dedicated safety management department and maybe adapt modern safety standards, for example, the European code EN50126, okay, and try to modify its current regulation systems and operating systems so there are cross-department issues can be solved. I think currently this is uh, the most important issues that they need to look at and they can uh, do it right away. So it looks like they need a, an overhaul of their whole system. Do you think uh, that Especially uh, regarding the safety management. Right. So, you know, just a couple of years ago in 2018, there was a derailment in Elan. And yeah. there was a review that found that there were about 50 things that they could have done to prevent yeah. that accident. And they mm-hmm. gave them over 20 suggestions of things to do. And also right. they did suggest that they have an AI surveillance system, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But have you seen any progress since uh, that derailment? They have a so-called a full examination of TRA, and they listed more than 100 issues that need to be addressed. According to the executive UN, they have done maybe 100 items. But unfortunately, these 100 items or more than 100 items are all patchworks. They didn't really look at the systematic problem at the core of the TRA, okay? So they didn't address the issues, uh, for example, uh, need to set up a, a safety department within or adapting a new safety codes. Uh, they didn't do any of that, okay? These are all patchworks. And as for the surveillance system, it is a good idea, but 
the surveillance system that uh, Tiara talked about is for the landslides. The landslides are occurring okay, alongside the railway tracks because the landslide, uh, there will be a massive slip of rocks and soils that inhibits the train uh, moving. Uh, that is a big issue. So they only look at like 25 sites that cannot be improved by engineering methods to prevent the, the landslide and they set up the surveillance system. But for the accidents just happened on Friday, since it's a it's temporary site, it's a construction site. So uh, the TRA or any construction company will not invest a huge money to establish a, a high tech or you can say a surveillance system. For regular surveillance systems that under maybe a um, hundred million NT dollars, it is not accurate enough, okay? Um, so the system, if, if that system is not accurate enough, then any stray animals or fallen leaves or dust or rocks coming into the way may sound like a forced alarm. Mm. And it, it will maybe cause another accident of the running train because you need to have an emergency stop. Okay, so the major problem come from the human error or human system. It cannot be fully solved by technology. Technology is only an accessory to, to solving the problem. So we need to look at the core of the problem. It's the human system inside TRA, not just the technology part. So we need to look at that and address that issue um, at the start, at the root. Yeah. So safety is not something that they value at its core then? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, everybody say that safety is, is important, but they didn't really invest money or human power to address that safety issue. Yeah. So do you think that anything will change after this accident? Uh, we, we don't know. Oh, we, we keep watching. We don't know. Because, um, because TRA has a lot of burden, especially um, it is not a privatized company. So any legislator can have a say on TRA's uh, organization or how he run the company uh, and so on. So if TRA wants to change, um, someone must be authorized to keep up all the interference from, say, for example, other government officials or legislators and have the, the, the right to do whatever is needed. And for TRA, that never happens. Do you think they need a change of management or to become, like I said, uh, and like many people have been talking about, being privatized? Uh, before, before that. Because if you, even if you want to privatize, you need someone to be responsible for the privatization process, okay? And fend off all the, the unnecessary interferences. So if, even, even if you want to privatize, you need authority. You need authorization from um, maybe the president to give you the right to do whatever is needed. Yeah. So they need a, a complete overhaul, basically, of their leadership yes. and of their safety system. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's privatized or um, it's remain to be a nationally owned company, it doesn't matter. It need a structure overhaul. Yeah. Well, do you think that the Ministry of Transportation is also responsible for this? Um, well, uh, it has some responsibility because um, the railway safety management is under the Ministry of Transportation. 
and they didn't have enough uh, for safety regulations or safety plans to regulate what TRA should be doing for a construction uh, like this kind. Okay, uh, there should be there should be enough uh, uh, plans or regulations that asks for complete, more complete or comprehensive risk assessment before such a uh, construction project starts. Um, there also need to be uh, allocate uh, enough human resources or, uh, or money for such project. But because we always want an engineering project to be done with a minimum amount of money, okay, we don't want to waste government's money. So most likely, the safety is sacrificed. That is disaster risk expert, Associate Professor San Xun Yu of National Jiao Tong University. Now, lawmakers this week have been responding to this accident. The opposition Guomingdang has proposed that Premier Su Zhen Tsang and Transportation Minister Lin Jialong step down to take responsibility for the accident, but their bill was overruled by the majority ruling Democratic Progressive Party. Now, another bill did pass the legislature. This was brought up by the smaller party called the Taiwan People's Party, which is headed by Mayor Kowenza. This requires that the Transportation Ministry report to the legislature within a month on its contractors based on their industrial safety histories. It also says that the ministry should list Taiwan Railways Administration contractors that have records of industrial safety violations and other mishandling. Now, the president herself, President Tsai Ing-wen, has also vowed to reform the Taiwan Railways Administration. She was speaking at the ruling Democratic Progressive Party's Central Standing Committee on Wednesday, she said the top priority is to revamp the TRA and also to solve the problem of its long-term losses every year and to find a sustainable management model. It looks like top officials know the severity of the problem and want to reform the TRA and weed out any unsafe contractors. But we'll have to see how determined the president and top officials are to carry this through. Next week, we continue to talk with Professor Shan about Taiwan's safety culture. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. In this episode, I speak to Clara Gillespie about the potential risks associated with the contentious Datan gas terminal planned for northern Taiwan. It turns out that it's a tricky issue for everyone involved on an environmental, economic and political level. All that and more coming up on The Download.
Uh, you mentioned how, on a global perspective, Taiwan's done very well. But of course, Taiwan isn't tied, it's not legally obliged, like other countries are by the Paris Climate Agreement. You know, how, how has it set its own goals? Or do you know much about the goals that it's set for itself uh, and how those compare to other countries? Absolutely. So Taiwan is not directly a member of the Paris Climate Accord, uh, nor is it a member of the International Energy Agency or some of the other big places where these energy policy questions and debates occur. Taiwan is a member of APEC, and that's really important in terms of its energy cooperation task force in particular, and some other ways that countries are trying to work together, both on scaling up new technologies and sharing best practices. Now, for not being in the Paris Climate Accord officially, Taiwan has nonetheless set its own targets for where it wants to get to. Its initial targets included reducing its CO2 emissions by about half in 2025 compared to 2005 levels. Now, stretching that out, a lot of countries are currently looking at what their revised Paris climate commitments look. And Taiwan in the end of 2020 also started the review process of what that should look like for the country. Country, with China, Japan, and others setting ambitious net zero targets, that's one of the questions that Taiwan is also looking at right now. How do you actually get to net zero carbon emissions in 2050? And again, with that really complex set of challenges that's got to take place. To my knowledge, those discussions on what the plan will look like are ongoing, but I would anticipate momentum there in the next few months. Going back to specifically the gas terminal and, and talking about how you, you've got these two yeah. terminals, or, or at least there's a lot of things working at 100% or over yeah. 100%, as you say. And the government has talked about risks of power shortages, particularly in northern Taiwan. Now, how real is that risk? How severe is that risk? I think the risk is very real, but the level of risk and the source of the risk varies. So, for example, one of the sources of risk that Taiwan faces is just generally how well does the grid operate? Are there potential bottlenecks, potential choke points, things where it's not just that infrastructure is aging and struggles to keep up, but you also have potential human failures or human errors that can have broader knock-on effects in the larger system. This is what Taiwan went through in 2017, where you had uh, the country blackouts that were not necessarily because the grid itself failed, but because people in the system did things a little bit incorrectly. But nonetheless, the points of failure were a larger bottleneck for other parts of the country. So it had knock on effects. So to your point, um, the government has been saying there are some concerns on if there will be bottlenecks for northern Taiwan in particular. I think that's accurate. The other terminals that are under construction, I believe, are in Kaohsiung and other parts of the central countries. Uh, so they'll have longer to travel to get to Taipei. Not necessarily a problem. Systems can deal with that, but more potential points of failure. So now moving on to kind of the environment. So obviously there is the environmental impact in the form of emissions from gas and stuff. But more specifically with this terminal, the main concern of the opposition is that there's environmental impact in the building itself. So how much impact do these terminals have? I mean, how much do they actually impact their environment? That's a great question. And I think it's an area where different people are going to give you different answers to that question for a number of reasons. The Energy Protection Administration was formally tasked with that question and released their own assessment back in 2018 of it that was sufficient for their ends to say, yes, this will have impacts, but they can be managed through various ways. So what are the specific impacts? 
effects that we're talking about for these terminals. This one in particular is not completely co-located, but shares area with an algae reef that critics have noted is over 7,000 years old. It makes important contributions in terms of the overall ecosystem, for example, providing nutrients and other things to fish. You also have what lives in this algae reef as well, which include rare turtles and other animals. So exactly as you said, the environmental impact is not necessarily the pollution, but what's the disruption on the local environment? The EPA said, we are confident that the terminal can be managed through a number of reasons to mitigate and minimize this impact. For example, working with CPC to reduce the overall area that would overlap with the reef, uh, setting up local funds. So it's not just that you have a terminal in the area, but you're actually reinvesting and improving the environment. Opponents have noted at the end of the day, you're still talking though about some kind of impact on this area. And I think for them, the bigger questions are some of those unknowns. Is this potentially, yes, less significant than the overall area of impact would have been, but still something that could set off ripple effects in the overall health of the reef or in the overall patterns of where animals live in it? Now, obviously, with these with this event, we've seen that there is obviously a political element at play here where we've got the KMT, that's the party in opposition, mm-hmm. joining the kind of protesters, joining the environment environmentalists who are protesting this this construction how much do you think that is a kind of a moment of political opportunism because you know historically speaking the dpp the ruling party are generally you know they're associated with the anti-nuclear movement Mm -hmm. so you know off the top of your head you might assume that they're the more green party so is this move by the kmt to support the the protesters to support the opposition to this construction is that opportunism or is that a part of like a broader shift do you think to, to a kind of greener strategy I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, so the DPP has pointed out that actually momentum on this terminal began when the, C- uh, the KMT was in power. So the opposition is not necessarily inherently something that's always been of their viewpoint. Uh, they've clearly seen periods of time when there is benefit to this terminal. But to your point, the KMT has also been much more supportive of nuclear energy as well. So the decision point comes down to what you see as the biggest risk and trade-off. Are you willing to think about ways that you mitigate the impact on the reef but still build the LNG terminal because you see nuclear as the bigger risk? Or are you comfortable with a scenario where you'll only accept zero environmental impact because nuclear presents a viable alternative? And the KMT fits in that space a little bit more. Inevitably, there is a little bit of politics at play, right? You have elections coming up. It is something where you see growing public support for both pushing back on the terminal, but also the scenario where there might be a little bit of wiggle room on the nuclear issue. So the KMT does have several scenarios where they could line up a winning political strategy behind it. What are the options for the DPP and do they pivot back to nuclear? Is that an option for them or do they push forward against what seems like at least some of the public's will to, to stop this plan? I think we're still a ways away from knowing what the outcome of the referendum would be on the LNG terminal. Um, so if this referendum does lead to a vote that says the public is in support of moving this terminal, then there are two key decision points for the DPP. One is, can you just move the terminal? And I think the answer to that is maybe, but what's the timeline for that environmental review look like? How useful is that going to be? Are there challenges in the interim? The other potential scenario, as you pointed out, 
is staying with nuclear a little bit longer. And that 2025 deadline is made in line with some of the existing power or all of the existing power plants aging out of their current plans. So the DPP would not necessarily have the option of just stretching out the status quo. They would actively have to do something a little bit more to approve those plants staying beyond their current life cycle. And we've seen periods of time, not just in Taiwan, but as I mentioned earlier, Japan and South Korea, where it might seem like the ruling party and government is all in on one direction on nuclear, but lined up against various realities, countries do reprioritize. That was Clara Gillespie from the National Bureau of Asian Research speaking about the potential pitfalls of the Datan gas terminal in northern Taiwan. And that's all we have time for this week. Tune in for next week's episode with me, Stash Butler, on The Download. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Who's to blame for the accident? Well, it's not just the driver. I spoke with a disaster risk expert at National Jiao Tong University, Associate Professor San Xun Yi, and this is what he had to say. There are three parties involved in such a construction site. There is a design and oversight consulting company, there is a general contractor, and there is a dedicated project management team, okay? And these parties are responsible for identifying or recognizing the risk at the construction site. They should have bring up a different way to prevent the accidents from happening, okay? Uh, for example, if you have an access ramp that close to the tracks, then you may need to install preventative barriers along uh, the ramp. So even if the equipment or truck will slip, it will not slip down the ramp. For us, uh, it, it is uh, just a failure of setting up all these multiple layers of defense to prevent uh, the accidents from happening. What do you think can be done and should be done to prevent future accidents like this? Okay, um, Comparing to um, Rapid Transit Company or Taiwan High Speed Rail Company, Taiwan Rail Company is a, a no company. Okay. It, uh, it lacks modernized uh, safety management systems uh, from the construction of the rails, from buying trains, from maintenance and operation, and so on. So it needs to reorganize its structure and set up a dedicated safety management department and maybe adapt modern safety standards and try to modify its current regulation systems and operating systems. I think currently this is uh, the most important issues that they need to look at and they can uh, do it right away. You know, just a couple years ago in 2018, there was a derailment in Elan. Have you seen any progress since uh, that derailment? Uh, they have a so-called a full examination of TRA. And they listed more than 100 issues that need to be addressed. According to the executive UN, they have done maybe 100 items. Uh, but unfortunately, these 100 items or more than 100 items are all patchworks. They didn't really look at the systematic problem at the core of the TRA. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.